Pastor, I mentioned we've been preaching through the Beatitudes <clears throat> over the last several weeks here at Saints Peter and Paul. And if you've been with us uh, over the, the course of those weeks, uh, maybe you're starting to kind of catch on uh, to the way that these little phrases work, uh, uh, what, what they're showing us and telling us and how they're often uh, more there than, than what we might imagine at first glance. Uh, but if you haven't been with us, uh, I'll catch you up on a few of the ones we've heard. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And today is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what I want to clue you in and remind you of uh, as a guest visitor or member here is Jesus is describing different groups of people here. Jesus is not saying that the people who are, who are poor in spirit are blessed over here, and that the people over here who are crying and mourning, that they're blessed, and, and today those who are pure in heart are blessed. Jesus is describing one people. He's describing one people. It's a kingdom people. It's the kind of people that Jesus is making of the world, his disciples. And that means that these words that we hear from Jesus aren't law. These are not law statements. These aren't things that we have to go out and try to do in order to be a disciple. Jesus isn't saying, go and make yourself poor to have the kingdom. He's not saying, go and, and weep and, and be somber all the time. No, Jesus is saying, in me, when you meet me, when you encounter me, when you stand before the face of God, you realize these realities. When I come before God and I realize I, I am far from God, I am spiritually poor. And then, and then I mourn because I realize my broken state and the state of affairs in this world that God created to be good and to run well and prosper and how far from that it is. And Jesus says, yes, yes you are, and I come to you to raise you up, and I come to you to comfort you, and to bring you a kingdom that is setting all things right. But still today, I was struck, maybe you were struck by these words of Jesus, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And it's so hard for me to hear that word of, of Jesus and to, and to not feel like I belong in that camp. Because maybe if you're like me, you, you have a hard time seeing God in the world or seeing God in your life. I think it's hard when we go back into our weeks. We talk a lot about being alive in Christ here and how we're alive in Christ because Jesus is alive. He is resurrected from the dead. He's not stuck in a tomb. He's out in the world, and he's restoring things, and he's even working in your life to bring you restoration. But still, sometimes I, I wonder where. Where is he? What about in this spot of my life, Jesus? 
Where are you there? Sometimes life feels not like a, a pretty picture, but more like abstract art, the kind of art I don't understand, right? That splotches of different colors mixed together, and it's confusing and messy. Well, I want to get at this idea of what Jesus is saying and where we can find Him in life. And I want to do so today by actually sharing a story and a bit of my story with you. Because uh, I can't really help it. This, this is where I was uh, this last week. So Pastor Aaron wasn't the only one at Camp Luther this, this last week. Uh, he got to be pastor of the week over at Camp Luther. But uh, uh, Marcus Huff, our director of uh, youth and campus ministry, and myself, we got to go with 11 students from our congregation for uh, confirmation camp. And we met up with two other students from down in Antonagon. And, uh, and we were at Camp Luther. And uh, it was interesting being at Camp Luther and knowing I was going to stand up here today and have to talk, you know, in front of you guys. And so, of course, I'm there, and I'm, I'm looking for God, you know. I want to see God so I can come back and report and say, yes, he's around, he's here, you know. In, uh, uh, Camp Luther is a great place, I think, to, to see God. I think Marcus would attest that he and I got to, to see how God interacted with our students, maybe with ourselves, because you're you know, you're doing all these devotions, and you're singing silly prayer songs before you eat, and um, there's worship time in the evening, and you're singing camp songs around a fire, and everyone around you is telling you about God, you know, and how He's with you, and how He's for you. Uh, and we had a real blast with our kids, teaching them those things as well, and, and also playing games. There was, there was a big uh, Gatorade container of oatmeal at one point on a field, and we had wars where we, we scooped up oatmeal and, and gooped it on people and, and chased each other around. Uh, there was a 10-foot wall at one point that we got to watch all our kids work together to climb over and process how, how this is a picture of the community we have and the support we have. And uh, two of the kids even hoisted me up uh, over the 10-foot wall. Uh, it was a blast. But it was also a weird moment for me because I'd been to camp before. And so kind of setting foot back on Camp Luther's grounds, it, it thrust me back uh, to the year 2013. And that's the year that I served at Camp Luther as a counselor. It was a year after I had graduated college. And if you know anything about how camps work, then you know that something must have been awry because typically to serve as a counselor at camp, you're like a freshman or a sophomore in college, and I had already graduated and been out uh, for a year and was serving in that role. And so, you're right, something was awry in my life. I graduated with a degree in business uh, from Concordia, Wisconsin, and moved out to Colorado, uh, and I got a sales job. Of all things, I was actually selling phone, internet, and TV door-to-door, -door, uh, which I didn't realize still existed. I thought we got done with that in like the 50s, right? Um, but it's Colorado, so it was, you know, it was really pretty out and good weather and good views. Uh, but the views of my paychecks uh, weren't very good because it was commission-based work, and I had a 45-minute commute uh, to and from, and so I wasn't making, like, any money. So I really didn't have much purpose. My, my career plans weren't working out, and I really didn't have much security. My funds were depleted. But I did have one good thing going for me. Uh, and she's actually still going with me today, and that's uh, my wife, Molly. 
Uh, we had met in college and had dated our senior year, and she actually lived in Colorado too, so we dated in Colorado for a bit. But now I was in Wisconsin, and there was long distance, so another strain in my life. And I'd love to say that this was the first big strain on Molly and I's uh, relationship, uh, but if, just ask Molly about our relationship, and she'll tell you uh, what, a mess, what a mess I was. And so I wrestled. I wrestled all summer in 2013 about where was God in my life? Where was God? Why weren't things panning out? If God was with me, if He was for me, if He was restoring my life, why were all these things in my life kind of bottoming out and falling out? I was frustrated with God. I was bitter with God. I was mad at God, to be honest with you. It just didn't make sense. I had this vision of how my life should be, and, and He wasn't living up to it. And since I couldn't see Him, I wondered, well, what does that mean about me? What does that mean about my heart? What does that mean about God's presence? Are the things that everyone around me is saying true? or not. Honestly, I, I kind of felt like uh, this picture. Uh, there's a picture here I want to show you. It's kind of odd. That's how I felt, okay? So, yeah, abstract, right? I, things didn't make sense. Just a bunch of splotches of, of different colors. My version would have been darker than this one, but that's the, the best version I could find online. No, this is actually uh, something called pointillism. So, it's a type of art, and maybe you're familiar with it, uh, but it's the type of art where an artist uh, dabs and does these little strokes, one at a time, tiny little dots, and uh, this is part of a portrait painted by Georges-Pierre Serrat. i got his name down here to get the name right. And uh, he spent two years on this painting, but this isn't the whole painting. Uh, can you blow that up, Danelle? Hey, have you guys seen that before? I always think of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know, his friend Cameron's staring at it, like zooms in on him. I think sometimes life is like that, right? In the moment, in the day, in the season I'm in, things are so zoomed in. And it's hard to see the bigger picture. We just see these little dots and we experience these little dots and it's hard to trust that there is a bigger picture, that there's a bigger portrait of what is going on. And so we have difficulty trusting that God is actually there. But it took, it took uh, Surat two years to paint this. Right? Our God is a patient God, and He's working on something far more beautiful than this portrait. Like Pastor Aaron was saying, Jesus as that light, making those kids special. Jesus is working in all of our lives to form and fashion us into something that we probably don't even realize we can be. But I think the experience uh, isn't necessarily like uh, the brush of a, of a painter's stroke. I think oftentimes the experience is a bit harsher than that. 
At least that's what Jesus' words in the Beatitudes seem to indicate. Because when Jesus talked about that purity of heart, He didn't use language uh, that was beautiful and vivid like that, uh, you know, the, the, the soft, gentle stroke of an artist. But that phrase, pure in heart, Jesus used the word uh, katharos, the Greek word katharos. It's the word where we get our English word, cauterize. Cauterize. The way that God works in our lives and works on our hearts is to cauterize them. Now, what does that mean? What, I mean, what does cauterize mean, right? You, you cauterize a wound, right? So, when you have a wound, when there's bleeding, you got to seal it up so you, you apply heat, right? And it burns, but it stops that wound from infecting. It stops that wound from digging deeper, from going uh, further into us. When I think back to my time at Camp Luther in that season of life, it was really hard in the moment to see God present, to see God working. But a few years later, I got to see at least a little more of the painting. Right? Because here we're nine years later. Fast forward back to the, this last week, stepping back on Camp Luther's grounds. Now I see some of the tapestry that God was weaving. Right, because there I was, dead broke that summer. I had, I had roommates or friends of mine who wanted me to be their roommates in St. Louis saying, hey, come down, stay with us after you finish camp. I said, no way, guys, I'm, I'm dead broke. I can't afford that. I got to go live with my, my, my folks after this. But through a turn of events, one of my uh, roommates who signed a lease with uh, his other friend, he, he, he busted out, he bombed out. He said, sorry, I took a job. Uh, you're on your own. So my other friend said, please come down. I'll pay the rent for you until you get on your feet. I said, okay. I realize now, nine years later, that God was using pastors like Pastor Aaron, those pastors of the week who get to visit and do devotions and Bible study. There were different pastors every week that whole summer who I got to talk with and wrestle with who were speaking God's word of truth to me were trying to get me to trust. And those words ended up getting me down to St. Louis in the vicinity of a seminary where I went to get training, where I would eventually be called to this church. And it was amazing to sit at the campfire with Marcus and Aaron and a few others. It would seem that we were so distantly spread across this world and our stories of our lives but God had connected us. God had brought us together. But it wasn't easy, right? It wasn't easy. The refining process of our hearts and our lives doesn't come as smooth as we would often like it to come. We actually heard allusions to this in our reading from 2 Timothy, right? It was talking about those vessels, the ones that God uses, those holy ones, and how they were gold and silver, right? Right? And the lesser vessels you don't, you know, use for the dishonorable things. That's what you use the, the wood for. But you know how gold and silver is refined, right? It's put in the heat. It's burned. It's put in that pressure cooker. And that makes it more beautiful. 
This is the same language that Paul uses in Romans 5 when he talks about our sufferings, right? These things that, that feel like heat and pressure and, and, and the things that make us often feel like we're so far from God. Paul says our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. Peter in his epistle talks about our faith and how it's going to be refined like gold through the various trials we face. It's in those moments that we feel furthest from God. In those spaces where we feel so distant from God, in those moments like like Peter when he was on the boat with Jesus, first meeting him, coming into the presence of God, when he said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to stand in your presence. I'm not holy enough to stand in your presence. But what did Jesus say? No, Peter, rise up, come with me. You're my disciple. Follow me. You see, those moments that we feel furthest from God are the very spaces that God is coming to intersect in our life. Right? When we fall down, face down, like that first song we sang, we fall down in his presence when we realize, like Isaiah, that woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Jesus. Jesus steps down and steps into our life. Jesus says, come, come to me. I am here. I am with you. I am with you in your brokenness. I'm with you in these spaces that you feel like I'm distant. Sometimes it's not our own sin, our own unworthiness. Sometimes it's just the brokenness of the world that we feel so distant from God in. But Jesus says, I'm with you in the flames And in the fire, like like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I promise to be with you, never to forsake you. And we see this pattern, this pattern of God using our brokenness or the broken situations in our life to reveal Him more clearly to us. He uses these things that seem like problems. They seem like the bad things, the stuff that I want to kind of come to church and, you know, not talk about, (laughs) Uh, try and pretend that they don't exist, you know, forget about them. God says, these are the very things I'm going to use to reveal myself to you and to give you strength. And we see that pattern most especially demonstrated for us in the cross itself. Right? Oftentimes we think of the cross and we think salvation, goodness, life. But for those first disciples, when they saw Jesus on the cross, it was anything but that. It was shame. It was dishonor. It was the, the end of our hope. It, it felt like God had departed from us. That this guy we've been following around, everything he told us was a lie. It wasn't true. What did God do with that cross and that death? Jesus was there, dying, suffering. Satan was laughing, thinking he had won. But God transformed that into the very path for our salvation. God, through the cross, 
made a path for our resurrection, for new life. And He does the same in these areas of our life that feel so broken, where we feel far from God. I think this purification of God, it, it's not easy. When I think back to that time at Camp Luther nine years ago, I thought I was following God. That's why I was so frustrated with Him, because I thought that my life shouldn't be falling apart, that my life should have been more secure, that things should have been going in a good direction. But I wasn't leaning on God. I had turned all these other things into my God's. I, I had, I had a, a Kevin-sized and a Kevin-shaped God that I had fashioned that was supposed to reward me for my following Him. And God said, no, my son. I need you to see me for who I am. I'm not going to abandon you. I will never leave you. But I'm not the God that you have fashioned me into, and I have to show you who I am so that you can become more, so that you can become more than you ever were. I need to refine you. I was walking around camp all week looking for signs of God. It was interesting. I came around this big sign at, at Camp Luther. They post random stuff here. I don't even think they use it. It, it looks really old. Uh, but I couldn't believe what I saw uh, on the board. If you zoom in to that yellow one, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Maybe you've been running around trying to see God in your life and wondering, where is He? Where is He in this space? Where is He in this brokenness? My friends, I want to encourage you and invite you to welcome God into that space, whatever that space is for you that feels the furthest from Him. What is that space in your life where you feel like God can't work with this or I need to kind of fix this uh, or get rid of it or, or do something about it so that I can be a better Christian? What is that space? Or what's the space that feels like I could never talk about this with my Christian friends? It's, it's too heavy, too dark. Go to God in that space. Invite God into it. It is the very space that God can meet you, that He can intersect with you. Because God came to us who were low. And the irony is when we, we come into the presence of God and we see that darkness, Jesus comes in and He pushes it out. He blows it out by the cross and by His resurrection. These little deaths that we live in and that we experience Jesus says, no, there's resurrection on the other side. Heaven isn't a consolation prize for, for the hard life you have. Heaven is you going through death, through the hardship. And think about that. If our death would actually advance our spiritual growth, if our death means that now we are with God for eternity in His presence, if that can fast-track our spiritual formation then isn't God going to use these little deaths, these little hardships, these lesser deaths to draw us into His presence, to meet us and grow us and refine us 
into the people of God that he has deigned us to be. Brothers and sisters, hear these words. Hear them up here. And if you can't trust them and force them down into your heart, go to God. But blessed are you, for Christ has made you pure in heart by his death and his resurrection for you. And there is a resurrection coming for you in whatever death you are currently facing. It's not for nothing. May God use it to refine you and purify your sight of him. In Jesus' name, amen.